0: following messages from North Place Church. We hope the next few moments will allow you to experience Christ, community, and compassion. For more about North Place Church, find us online at northplacechurch.com.
1: Today, I want to talk to you about the power of the resurrection. It's a story that you've heard all your life. Jesus rose from the dead It's a 2,000-year-old story told so many times. You heard it so many different ways. It's easy for the preacher at Easter to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Blah, 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 blah. What could actually be said today that hasn't been said on a previous Easter 10,000 times before? Jesus is alive. So what? My objective today is to explain why the 2,000-year-old event the resurrection of a Jewish rabbi has any relevance in your life right now. My hope is to show you plainly and practically how the past can impact the future. That's why we ask the orchestra to help us in our worship experience today. The classical, anchored in rich tradition combined with newer expressions of worship. Antiquity impacting modernity. The past being made relevant in the present. That's why we sang a 162 year old hymn. Crown him with many crowns in a new and fresh way. The past impacts the future. Some events more than others. But especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ, because he pinned the validity of everything he ever said on the fact that he was raised from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, he can't be trusted. If he rose from the dead, then everything he said is true. I want us to listen in on a conversation between Jesus and John, the God, uh, the, uh, the, the disciple John, the one known as John the Revelator. He was tormented for his faith in Christ, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And while there, he has a vision of Jesus. And he writes the revelation of what came to him, what Jesus said to him in the book of Revelation. And it begins this way, Revelation 1, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And the next phrase is the so what. The next phrase explains to you why the resurrection matters. He said, I am alive forever and ever. And then he said, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. In other words, because I defeated death, I have the power to unlock anything that holds you captive. I not only hold the keys to your eternity, I hold the keys to anything that plagues you in the present all of His suffering and death and resurrection, So we it wasn't so we could have a holiday and get a day off work. He returned from the dead with the power to salvage anything that was dead or dying in your life. You don't experience Easter by reminiscing about a 2,000-year-old event, but by having your own resurrection where every hopeless area of your life is given a second chance. So what? Area of your life today is dead or dying. I'm not talking about physical death. I performed a lot of funerals in the last 23 years. And a lot of those people that are very dead are more alive today than they have ever been. On the other hand, in that 23 years I've interacted with a lot of people who have a pulse. But they are dead or dying emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. They are the walking dead. Some of us are emotionally dead. We're stressed out. We, we have a pulse, but we are diseased. We are not at ease anymore. Our emotions are frayed. We're in turmoil. We don't sleep well at night. We are distraught for one reason or another. Some of us, Have uh, Are experiencing the death of a relationship Maybe someone has literally died in your life And you are grieving that Or maybe you've been through a divorce Maybe it happened a long time ago And you're living with the fragments of a life That is trying to overcome The death of a relationship in the past And those of us that know that pain We know the pain of a relational death Is harder on us than physical pain Another kind of death is spiritual death It's where we're physically alive, but we're very separated from God. On a few attempts, maybe you've tried to pray, but God seems a million miles away. You may even call yourself a Christian or go to church, but deep down in your heart, you wonder if you have a real relationship with God. For some of us, it's because we've had bad church experiences in the past, and we've become cynical at the institution of the church for others of us, we, we had an, a childhood Sunday school faith, but the older we got, the, the, it seemed like our childhood Sunday school faith couldn't bear the weight of our adult life. It's like we grew up, but our faith didn't, and now we're dying a, a spiritual death. Spiritual death is the most critical of all because it's the spirit part of us that lives for eternity. It's the spiritual death that cost us the most. Jesus' message in, when He talked to John in Revelation 1 was simple, but it was profound. He said, I was dead, I am alive, and I hold the keys. Now you know, the guy that holds the keys has power. The guy that holds the keys has access. The guy that holds the key has authority. And Jesus was saying, I have the authority, the power to salvage the dying part of you, to make the dead part of you live again. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 8. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Do you realize what that statement implies? Paul is saying that it is entirely possible and even expected That the power that raised Jesus, the force and energy that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can be at work and alive in us. And if the God who raised Christ up, and if the God who's given power to our mortal bodies, if He's able to do that, wouldn't He be able to have the power to give life to whatever is dead or dying in you right now? That's what Easter is all about. It's not just a celebration around a historical event that we've turned into a religious holiday so everybody can show up one Sunday a year and go, well done, chap. Well done, Jesus. That's not what this day is all about. It's a 2,000 year old event that has relevance now in this moment because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead can give you a second chance, can give you a do-over. This can be the first day of the rest of your life because He has the key to breathe life into whatever is dying or decaying in your life. The Message Bible uh, paraphrases what Paul said in Romans 8 this way. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that He did in Jesus, bringing you alive to Himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and He does as surely as He did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life. Dead life is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. It's kind of like jumbo shrimp. What is it? Is it jumbo Or is it shrimp? Is it dead? Or is it alive? And the point is, there are a lot of us that are both. We have a pulse. But emotionally, or relationally, spiritually, we are the walking dead. We are alive physically, but we're dying on the inside. Paul is saying, Jesus can deliver us from the dead life. I love my grandfather more than I have words to express. He passed away a few years ago, and my grandpa took my mom and I in when my dad walked out on our family, and he raised me. He became the dad that he didn't have to be for me. And I can remember, I'd always ride with him to church, me and him, and the ladies would come behind us, and he had an old Ford truck. It always smelled like Juicy Fruit. Uh, he, I mean, he, he, he chewed juicy fruit gum, and that's what he smelled like. He sm- his clothes smelled like juicy fruit. His truck smelled like juicy fruit. Anytime I smell, like, smell juicy fruit, I, I think of my grandpa. Haley gets me a stick of juicy fruit every year, puts it in my stocking. I don't even like juicy fruit. It just reminds me of my grandpa. I remember riding with him on the way to church this one particular day, like I did every Sunday, but I noticed something on the way. We passed a salvage yard, and then we passed a junkyard. They had one said salvage yard, one said junkyard. I asked my grandpa, I said, Papa, what's the difference between those two places? And he said, well, to those guys, really nothing. They're, They're in the same business. But there is a technical difference between the word junk and salvage. Junk is useless. You know, it's done. It's trash. Dig a hole, bury it. But he said salvage may look like junk to a lot of people, but when the right person sees it, they see a purpose in it. They see a value in it. They believe it can be fixed. They believe it can be restored. They believe it can be reclaimed. My grandfather didn't know that while that conversation was going on, the deep emotion I was wrestling with, from the time I was three or four to way beyond the age of seven, I was seven when this was going on, I was being raped, sexually molested by an uncle. He didn't know that, and he wouldn't know it for 20 years after that moment, but I felt like somebody's toy, I felt like trash, I didn't feel valuable. And I looked at my grandpa one day, that day, and we, we were having that conversation, and I said, Papa, I really feel like that's the way God sees us. When we think of ourselves as junk or when other people think of us as junk, maybe he sees us as salvage. And he looked at me with this proud smile on his face and he said, "I think you got it, son." And I said, "Well, Papa, you know if I ever preach a sermon, I'm going to preach about that." A few years later, after a season of rebellion because of the hurt and the pain and a lot of addiction and and a lot of stuff I'm ashamed to talk about in detail, I had an experience with Jesus that changed my life as a teenager, and I got up and was invited to preach my first sermon, and I titled it that day, just to keep the promise to my grandfather, junk or salvage. It's been 33 years since I had that conversation as a seven-year-old boy, and I still believe that message is relevant today. I believe it's what Easter is all about. The fact that God looks into the broken places of our life. He takes the discarded and thrown away pieces of our lives. And He begins to add value and purpose and meaning back to those lives again. I believe that's what He's trying to get across to us today. He does for us. He takes our our junk and turns it into treasure. That's why this platform is is the way it is today. This old piano is is a broken. Broken down, out of tune, old piano. We've ripped the guts out of it, repurposed it, put an electric keyboard in it. All of these risers are made out of throwaway barn wood. Those lights, all of the crates are somebody's junk they've thrown away that we have salvaged and repurposed because that's what Jesus does to people's lives. He delivers us from the dead life. This message today is directed at, I dedicate it to all of you out there who need a comeback. Come back who've been discarded or thrown away or jumped. As people look at you as if you are damaged goods. This Easter is for you. I've been praying for you and for this day for months. And I've specifically asked God, will you let people come in there t- today? And, and will God, will you let their emotions live again? Let them have a financial comeback. Let their relationships live again. Let them be spiritually alive again because of your resurrection. Let me put it plainly. Because He lives, you don't have to be lonely anymore. Because He lives, your dead dreams don't have to stay dead. Because He lives, that part of you that is dead or dying can come back to life again. Let me show you. Amen. Come on, let's give Him praise. Let me show you quickly how God salvages a life, okay? It's a four-step process. Usually, when you look in Scripture and you see somebody, He does four things. Now, the first of those four things is happening right now, already. already. It's already happening. The second of those things can happen today. And number three and number four are a part of a process. It takes some time, but it can begin today. Here's what's already happening in our lives, in God's process of salvaging them. Pursuit. He pursues us. And the pursuit is on today and it's not your search for Him. That's what people don't realize. People have this image of God. Religion has given people the image of God that He's up there mad and distant because we have failed Him miserably and He's sitting up there with His arms crossed as this arrogant angry deity telling you that if you will grovel your way back to Him, He just might reconsider and take you back. That's the image that religion gives us of our Creator. But it's wrong. The Bible says the very opposite. It says that when we are in sin and when we fail and when we run and hide that God goes on pursuit after us. He looks for us. He messes with us. And for some of us, He's been messing with us all week long in preparation for this service. He may have been messing with you for a couple years, but you've not been listening. But every now and again there's this awareness in your life that God is actively pursuing you because because that's what he does in the very first story of the bible Adam and Eve fell into sin and out of shame they ran and hid and what did God do he didn't throw them away he went after them he pursued them and asked this famous question Adam where art thou he knew where Adam was but he wanted Adam and Eve to know how far they had drifted Adam where are you Every time I think of that question, it reminds me of the story I've heard all my life about the preacher that went door to door back in the old day knocking on everybody that went to church. And there were times he would knock on a door and he knew they were home. They just weren't coming to the door. And so to be cute, he would write uh, Revelation 320 on the back of his business card and stick it in the door. And this is what that said. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The next Sunday, after that, uh, an usher came up to him and said, Pastor, when we were receiving the offering, a lady handed us your business card and she had written her own scripture on the back and it was Genesis 3.10. He didn't know what that said, so he read, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. <laughs> she outcuted him. There's actually a, a spiritual truth in that verse. Because that's what people do. They hide from God because of shame. They hide from God because they don't know how He's going to react. Religion has made people afraid to approach God. It is human nature for us to run and hide in shame. But listen, you can't hide and run from the love of God. He will pursue you just like He did Adam and Eve. His Spirit is actively pursuing you at this very moment. That's what He does. So what happens when he finally gets your attention? He pursues you and then he rescues you. He pulls you out. He loves you, mess and all, just like you are. He pursues you. He rescues you. He pulls you out of the dump. And when he rescues you, his interest isn't to get you fixed, okay? Some people think you have to get your act together to get to God, but you have to get to God to get your act together. Religion says one thing, the gospel says another. I love the fact that God sees the awful, sinful, corroded messes we are and doesn't hesitate or blink or even reconsider. He pursues and He rescues us and He enjoys the journey because that's who He is. A rescuer, a pursuer, a redeemer. He actually wants you. He wants your mess. He wants the things nobody else wants. He goes to the dumps and the junkyards and the forgotten attics of life and sees Value in everything that has been forgotten or thrown away. Listen, you will not rescue that which you do not value. Jesus sees potential in what everybody else calls junk. He pursues what others throw away. He's pursuing you now because He values you. He wants to rescue you. Some of us are in need of rescuing. Forget joining a church. Forget becoming more religious. We need to be snatched out of the darkness. We need to be rescued. Some of us are sick of life the way it is. In your heart, you know there is more. And today, He is giving you a rescue plan, reminding you, I pursue you, I rescue you, and then He restores you. He pulls you out, He brings you to Himself. And then he begins the process of putting you back together again. Restoration is where he takes all the junk of our life, little by little, layer by layer, and starts working on it, restoring it back to value. Most of us, a lot of us, haven't ever experienced restoration because we're too busy wearing masks and pretending that we got it all together. I've always dreamed of pastoring a church where pretenders feel uncomfortable, but the broken feel at home. Be honest. We all have issues. I have issues. And I know you're relieved that I finally owned up to that because you knew that and were wondering if I knew that. Yes, I know that, okay? I have issues. And if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. And if you will identify yourself, we will be happy to give you a list of your issues. Because there are pretending people going to churches all over America today with their beautiful clothes and underneath it is all the stuff that's dead or dying. They got issues and they don't know it. We will let you know if you will identify yourself. And today, Easter can now be National Issue Awareness Day in America. I want to pastor an authentic community of people who don't hide their issues. But we acknowledge our brokenness so we and anybody else that wants to take this honest journey before God can experience restoration together. I want to invite you, if you don't have a home church, come be a part of one going through a process. If you're looking for a perfect pastor who leads sanctimonious and perfect people, you're not going to be happy with this place. But if you're looking for family members, imperfect people, who started out made in the image of God, who were later marred by sin, but who now are in the process of being remade by grace. If you want that kind of place, this is that kind of place. Because if the church is so perfect that people are too ashamed to talk about the broken places of their lives, if they're too ashamed to talk about the parts of them that are being remade by grace, if they're too afraid to talk about the restoration part, then they rob the gospel of its power. They rip the heart out of their own story and the best part of the story of God. He pursues, He rescues, He restores, and He redeems think about what that word means to take the thing that was broken and lost and and all of the stuff and and and, and and to add value again. When when you truly redeem something, you don't just take off the exterior rust and doll it up and beautify it up a little bit. But when you redeem it, you turn it back into valuable. I mean, maybe even more valuable than it was to begin with. The greatest message of Christianity is not that what God does for our eternity. Not only that, but what is available to us here and now. He can take what life you have left, the life that you thought was over, and He can put the living back in life again again. again many of you don't know this but pastor bear is not just talented musically but he and jill combined as a married couple have a have another gift they they pursue thrown away pieces of wood and furniture they find the discarded pieces the thrown away pieces and they do things to them that look impossible they see potential where most of us see trash people kind of look at bear funny when he goes digging through their trash or he shows up when they're tearing down an old house or an old barn and asks the construction workers, can he haul some of that off? And they're like, yeah, take all you want, man. And every now and then he'll find something on the side of the road or he'll pull something out of the trash and he'll come by here and, or come by my house and he'll like, man, look what, look what I found. Isn't this awesome? And I'm like, man, that's just rotten wood, bro. I mean, but he sees potential where I see trash. When he rescues it, he doesn't fix it there. He brings it home just like it is, broken and tattered. And, and, and when he gets it home, he takes hours and days, maybe weeks. But over time, he sands away the neglect and the pain and the misuse and the rust and he restores it. It may take a while, but he pieces it all back together. He reclaims it and repurposes it. And when he's finished, people stand in line to pay good money for something they wouldn't give given a plug nickel for a few weeks earlier because it's been salvaged it's been redeemed it has value again that's a beautiful picture of what jesus does a few weeks ago some of our staff were crawling around in one of the attics of our church trying to make room to store stuff we just don't have room we're out of space for everything and And some of them had seen this old buffet up there and ignored it because it's been ignored for so long. Some of them had never seen it, and so it started a conversation. We needed to get that old old piece of furniture that's been up there. Nobody knew how long. We needed to get it out of there and throw it away. And we were trying to figure out how it got in there, how long it got in there. And from all the conversations we have had, that buffet has been in the attic of the church for at least the last 60 years. Literally, it is, the buildings have been added on to. They've moved this way towards 78 over the years. And, and that, it has been there so long that as buildings have been added on, the, the buffet was never taken out of the attic. They just built on and left it there and built around the buffet. We literally had to disassemble part of the roof structure to get the buffet out of the attic. When we got it into the light, everybody's like, where are we going to throw this thing? It's you know, trash. And Bear said, oh, that's beautiful. He's like, really? <laughs> so we got an idea. Why don't, why don't you and Jill do your thing here with this old piece of forgotten, neglected furniture lost in the attic of the church for over 60 years? Why don't you restore it and redeem it? And we'll put a camera there watching you do it. And what we've decided to do is to take the documentary of the restoration of that old piece of furniture and lay it beside three lives of real people who are part of this church who have been restored by the grace of God, showing you how God can reach into the, the worst, the death, the dying, and make it live again. Take a look.
2: Raped by a football player at my school. Because of my past um, before the rape, they kind of made me feel like I wasn't raped at all. I would go to school and people would shun me and say, you know, not talk to me. You know, I was accusing a football player of doing something that, you know, no one thought that he would do. Told myself, if no one else cares, then I don't care either. And the promiscuity just increased.
3: Yo nací en un país que no era comunista, cubano. Después viene el problema de la revolución y Fidel, durante dos años que hizo la guerrilla, toma el poder. Por Fidel no yo hubiera hecho cualquier cosa. Fidel era prácticamente como un dios para mí. La esencia de toda aquella política era el ateísmo. A los 18 años yo ingreso en el ejército, pero ya yo estaba teniendo una formación anti-christian we moved to las vegas
0: when i was 11 years old me and two other guys had started a gang um, that had filtered into their gangs and became one of the biggest gangs in las vegas and there were many a times where I'd had a gun put in my face. I had started selling drugs. It started with weed, um, it started with marijuana. And then it progressed into cocaine, and then it progressed into to methamphetamines, crystal meth. When it was presented in front of me, it was a friend of mine, and I asked him, is it gonna kill me? And he said, no, it just gives you a little bit of energy.
2: I involved myself with unavailable men, married men, so I was an object for anyone to use, for anyone to have. You know, I knew that what I was doing wasn't right. Uh, I met a man. I thought, you know, this could be it. You know, I could, we could get married and I could be, you know, a good woman. About five months after we were dating, I found out I was pregnant. And so he asked me to marry him. He became uh, verbally abusive and emotionally abusive. It was time for me to have my daughter and my water broke. And I go to tell him, you know, my water broke, it's time to go to the hospital, you know, and he's passed out drunk. I end up driving myself with my seven-year-old daughter um, in an undependable car, uh, 30 miles to the hospital.
3: A mí me expulsaron del Partido Comunista por aquella, aquel hecho de, de que me había casado con una persona que, que, que su familia era religiosa. ya tenía casi como, como 30 años, ¿no? y había dado todo a mi juventud desde el comienzo de la revolución. Yo no creía en Dios cuando acá aquel... I didn't
0: know where I wanted to go. I went to jail for a possession of stolen property. I ended up spending about a year and 10 days away. So my sister had said, well, why don't you come stay out here in Texas and you can rebuild your life? I met Melissa the last part of 07. right shortly after I moved back to Texas, uh, leaving Las Vegas.
2: I had never been around drugs or alcohol growing up, so I had no idea what that looked like.
0: My addiction started to get worse.
2: I can't do this no more. I have to get out of this. My children don't deserve this. I can't continue in this cycle of abandonment. I went to go stay with my aunt. Honestly, a couple of weeks after we separated ourselves from you know the environment that we were in with my ex-husband, peace started to set in, and I was able to think
3: about things. Poco tiempo yo conocí a while, I Elia, y ella era una activista en contra del partido comunista. Ella hizo mucho para poder nosotros venir a Estados Unidos. Ya estando en los Estados Unidos, me di cuenta de que esto era un país de libre culto, ¿no? Y desde el principio ella empezó a visitar las las diferentes iglesias.
0: I would disappear for days on end. Uh, she would have to come find me.
2: I had no idea where he was, and I would just drive around until I found his car.
0: And so last year, again, at the end of last year, I ended up going to rehab for the second time, this time with a lot more conviction, a lot more sincerity, and a lot of good things happened when I went back to rehab.
2: I got invited to Northwest Church. Pastor Brian was talking about um, the woman at the well. Jesus didn't judge her, um, you know, but he knew everything that she had been doing. You know, I started thinking, well, you know, the woman at the well, you know, she was promiscuous basically, and you know, I've done something like that. Maybe I can be forgiven, and maybe you know, God can accept me.
3: Ella tiene una amiga que la llevaba y la traía no Hay un domingo que no la puede llevar, y entonces ella me dice. Ay Rafael, lléva eh, Una de las cosas que, que más me gustó de North Place es con el cariño, con la candidez, con oh, que me recibieron. El pastor llegó, yo estaba sentado en una mesa, y él viene, se me sienta al lado, y, y me dice, hace mucho tiempo que estaba esperando por ti. ¿Vos?
0: Since I've been coming to North Place Church, I've gained some pretty good relationships. I've met some really good people when I would come to church and I'd sit in the services and I'd listen to Pastor Brian his his words were so sincere and I felt like it was it was God talking through him that he was speaking to me just the people here were non-judgmental and that was God's way of putting the, the right people in my life to get me to where I wanted to be I started opening up more and understanding my qualities and what God's purpose was for my life and that was to be able to to teach others about the bad things of of, of an addiction and and what it can do to your life because, for me, it almost destroyed me.
2: I came from this ugly, dirty, broken place in my life uh, that I was so ashamed of. I didn't want people to know about, but God knew everything, and I'm just thankful and elated that I Know
3: the truth now.
2: I am a part of his family. I am his child.
3: Después de cinco meses, ya yo había estado asistiendo a la iglesia, eh, estaba estudiando la Biblia profundamente. Decidimos eh, él y yo bautizar. El pastor Brian me dice que si yo tengo algo que, que decir, y entonces que yo expreso que ya yo había llegado a, a enterrar un hombre viejo. Pero que había nacido una nueva candidatura en mí. Y que yo aceptaba a Cristo como mi único Salvador. Y que lo iba a seguir por todo el resto de mi vida.
1: Isn't God amazing? What He does with people's lives. What Bear and Jill have been able to do to this old piece of furniture is the very thing that God has done with Morgan and Jason and Raphael. He he pursued them. He rescued them. didn't try to fix them. He just rescued them. And then He Brought them to Himself. Brought them in relationship just like they were. And started taking off all the stuff and going down in the heart. He restored and then He redeemed. Just like this old buffet. Forgotten, neglected, thrown away. You know, I don't know where you find yourself today. But I want you to know. I want you to know this before you leave. There's a God in heaven that deeply... Deeply loves you. Somebody may have told you he's turned his head in shame at you. I can tell you the Bible teaches something different. He's pursuing you, he wants a relationship with you. The running and the hiding is your idea, not his. Let him rescue you today. 23 years ago, I stumbled into church drunk. Long story. Heard the preacher, and one, one time in my life, the preacher didn't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. I actually understood what he was saying. At the end, he prayed a prayer. And I didn't say that prayer out loud that day. He just prayed a prayer, and I said it in my heart. I knew the story. I'd gone through the stuff my whole life. My grandpa taught me, but I, I rebelled. It ran, did my deal. That day, I said a prayer in my heart that led me to sobriety i gave jesus my junk all the pain from the sexual abuse and the abandonment of my father and all that mess i gave it i gave it all to him and he started it took some time but he started and he's still working 23 years later dealing with all my issues but he's given me a life i could have never imagined at that place I spent this week thinking that maybe some of you would come to this service like I went to that one. I can't remember every word the preacher prayed that day, but I wrote a prayer for us. Those of us that need to be salvaged. And I'm going to read it today. And thousands of people could read this prayer and it would be nothing for them but the few. who It, it, it actually reflects the attitude of their heart that's, those are the people where God jumps on that moment and that begins the prayer that starts a journey that is the first day of the rest of your life. I'm going to invite you on Easter to pray this prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. Say it in your heart, okay? I'm going to read it, but I would love for you to just apply it to your heart. For the first time, give your life to Jesus. If you're away... You know better? Come back home. Say this in your heart with me. Jesus, thank you for pursuing me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Please rescue me. Restore me. Redeem me. Repurpose my past and salvage my future. I confess my sins because I believe you are faithful and just to forgive them. I recognize the evil in my heart, but I also recognize that You are my defender. In You I am made righteous. In You I have right standing before God. Today, I surrender. I want my life to be lost in Yours. Today, I confess You as the Lord of my life. Thank You for reclaiming the junk of my life. Thank You for giving me a hope and a future. When others discard me, you accept me. Today and forever, I am yours. You don't have to understand everything to believe in something. And today's a starting point. Raphael, Jason, Morgan, all had a starting point. But they could look back see how far they've come and I'm inviting you to start today a couple weeks ago I was I was being a real good husband and I went to Canton with my wife we walked all over the place not really up my alley but I went I really felt in my heart as I prayed about today that I wanted to give something to every person that made a decision to follow Christ today some kind of memento that would be a reminder of the day Where God began the process of salvaging your life. And so I went to all the iron shops and the tents, wood tents, and I went to this one and asked the same question I'd ask at every place. So, what's the story behind your wood? And he got nervous, I guess he thought I was some kind of inspector, and he started stumbling all over his words, and, and I said, look, I'm, I'm a pastor, man, from Dallas, and I'm preaching this message called Salvaged on Easter weekend, and I, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for something that's been made out of throwaway wood, junk, you know, I'm, I, I, want, I want what I give these people to have meaning behind it. And he started crying, I mean, he's six foot four, he started bawling, he said, pastor, that's my story. He said, he said, two years ago, my mom came into this very tent, and I was an addict. I didn't talk to her for long periods of time. I was strung out, and she picked up one of the brochures. Do you know what this tent is? I said, no. He said, this tent is a woodworking uh, shop for men who are in a rehabilitation program who are the, the dregs of society. They are in the gutter of life, and they're getting their life back together again, and they make stuff out of wood to help fund the program. And he said, I, my mom brought the brochure to me, and, and, and I, I didn't have anything else to do, so I called, and he took me in, and now I'm sober, and I oversee one of the shifts in the woodworking program, and he said, and pastor, yes, this is made out of sawdust. They would bring all the junk wood from construction sites, the dump that nobody else wants at our place, and we, we grind it into sawdust and press it together and make Little sheets of wood, and then we make crosses and stuff out of them. So, yeah, it has meaning. It's throwaway sawdust that's been turned into something, touched by the hands of men who've been thrown away, who are being turned into something. I said, give me a bunch of them. (laughs) They weren't able to get me enough to give to everybody, but they sent me 200, and when they arrived, they had Easter 14 inscribed on them so that anybody that made a decision to follow Jesus, would have something you can stain, you can paint, you can keep raw like it is to carry with you as a simple reminder of the day your life was lost in His and the hopeless place started to live again.
0: Thanks for listening to this message from North Place. Feel free to share or duplicate this message. If you are in the Dallas area, we would love to connect with you personally. We gather every Sunday at 8.30, 10 and 11.30 a.m.